Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast, where we are rediscovering the ancient way. You can always find us 24-7 at pathtozion.com and reach out to us via email at pathtozionpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to get right back in it with what? A new series for sure. It's going to be at least two parts, probably going to lead into three. A Pharisaical Christmas, a unique look at the power of traditions. And what I want to talk about for however long this ends up being is just some biblical challenges towards every single thing that we do in our practical lives, what we invite our children into, what we ourselves give ourselves to, what we refrain from, and why. Um, Nothing is off topic if we're truly spiritual men desiring to please our Father and live in the likeness of Yeshua Messiah and walk as He walked. There can be nothing that's too off topic or untouchable in our lives. Now, I have, of course, touched on this um, for years now here on the program. Um, And that stuff, you can find it if you want to look back. A couple that I wrote down in case you want more, um, I don't know, just more things to chew on and think towards. One series was called Festivals of Men or Feasts of the Lord. Um, One was Confronting Christmas, the Spiritual Man Perspective. If you want to talk more about the origins of the holiday and and just how it started off in idolatry. It it was a pagan uh, celebration. And it was Christianized, and we'll talk more about that, of course, in a little bit. But this this series specifically is not just about confronting the wrongness of Christmas and all of its pagan idolatrous origins. It is not that, to be clear. We're just going to look at it a little bit different, which is why I titled it A Unique Look at the Power of Traditions, because we really have to peer into what Christmas is more so than what it has Um, kind of dupe people to believe that it has become. Okay, what is it really is what we're going to talk about um, for the next little bit here. So it's obviously Christmas time again. Um, I'm recording this the day after Thanksgiving Day that many thousands, millions of people celebrated yesterday. Um, And I've said for almost 10 years now, long before we found out anything about Torah and feasts and Sabbath, we walked out of, of just traditional holidays. We have not done Christmas for a very long time, at least nine years. Um, and so it's been a little while. And I have said since then that I believe you, we've all heard the phrase, right? The Christmas spirit. I believe it's real. I believe it is a very real thing. Um, in fact, we see the fruit of it, how it captivates millions of people, worldly and Christian alike, which is what I tackled in last year's endeavor to talk about Christmas, is it's literally in the air. Um, The music, the red and green lights, Santa, manger scenes, Advent calendars, Black Friday sales. (laughs) The, the, The mood of the Christmas spirit is in the air. It is a tangible thing, friend. And if you think it's not, then I would, I would cause you to step back and just think about your plans for the next month uh, of shopping and, and meals and gifts and certain types of food and certain things you'll do and, 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 and certain things you'll go watch, whether it's a program or a, a concert or Christmas movies. And this, this next 30 days for sure it it has a as it has an aura about it it has a a spirit about it i'm fully convinced of that um 
I don't think that that is mere terminology. I do believe it's real. Um, now, here we are now. It's, it's 2022, almost about ready to turn again. In this age of pandemics, um, electronic addictions, depression, debt, this holiday season masquerades as a Band-Aid for all that ails you <laughs> for a month or so at least, right? Just give you a little 30-day respite at the very least. Um, it will bring temporary distraction, I believe that. I remember those days. You know, well, it, we won't go into all these things of life that are hard and, and maybe traumatic. And, you know, the, the Christmas season and the Christmas spirit kind of medicates that, that issue, those issues in our lives. And it just kind of distracts us just long enough to be what? Joyful. Be joyful. Let's go to a Christmas cantata. Let's sing about the baby Jesus. Let's bring Jesus birthday presents and pretend everything's okay for just a little while, please, right? Let's just be honest. That's a lot of what it accomplishes. Um, But it will only bring a temporary distraction and relief, and it cannot do what Yahweh's celebratory feasts were created to do. It cannot do it. It cannot accomplish that in our hearts. Now, it may masquerade, as I already said. It may masquerade as something similar. It seems, well, we're in Jesus now, so now we celebrate baby Jesus instead of um, tabernacles and, and um, you know, all these other, we could list all the feasts out. We don't do Passover now because we have a Passover lamb, and we do Easter, and his is the same thing. It's all lined up. Every, every cycle and season we go through, it's this repetitious mindset that we're in of traditions, which is the the key word today that we will talk about. Um, But it cannot do what the feasts and festivals of Yahweh can do. Um, Why? (laughs) Because Christmas was not instituted by Yahweh for his people, okay? And and if you are just a general Christian, a believer in Jesus, many people I talk to, of course, right now, just no grid for Yahweh's feast. I didn't have it either. Now, I did have a curiosity for years and knew there was something to them, but I just never knew how to get in there. How do I understand them? How do I apply them today? What are they today? Are they for today? I understand that that's many people's present perspective. I get that. But we have to understand that if we use the Bible alone as our textbook, there and we'll, we'll rehash this over and over, Christmas as a celebrated, memorialized holy day, a celebratory event, is nowhere from cover to cover in the entire Bible. Nowhere. Well, what about the birth of Jesus? Well, of course the birth of Jesus. Of course. It's a real event. Yes, the birth of Yeshua, Messiah, born of a virgin, all these things. Yes, it's true. Now, the, uh, the dirty manger scene stable that you probably have under your Christmas tree is not true. It's not real. Look into Magdali Dar. I say that every year. Look into where the sacrificial lambs were birthed and wrapped in swaddling clothes. But um, this holiday is not a biblical holiday. It's not instituted by our Father. It's just not. Um, and we've discussed this before um, in measure. Um, but we do realize that, right? There is a difference. These are not all the same. Like Passover and Easter are not the same, okay? <laughs> Tabernacles and Christmas are not the same. They're not, um, biblically speaking alone. Not my opinion or yours. 
They're not the same. They're not in the same category at all. Um, other than they're both festivals individually, um, celebratory events, um, that's where it ends. But one is instituted by our Creator, and the other is instituted by men. Um, in many cases, Catholic men who started a new church that you inherited, friend. That's the church we were given. <laughs> um, moving on. Christmas is a strong uh, tradition worldwide, and of course, especially here in America. I've born, I'm born and raised in the United States, and of course, Christmas has been a, a main component of my life, like I said, until nine or ten years ago. Yes. Um, but biblically speaking, what are traditions themselves? This is where we're going to start this, this endeavor to talk about what I call the pharisaical Christmas, which will come into view real quick as to why. Are traditions always good? Do they have the at least potential to be good? Are they always bad? Are traditions biblically always seen as bad, bad, bad? Burn the traditions of your forefathers. What is the criteria of a tradition? Well, let's spend a few minutes finding out. Of course, we're going to run right to the Word, and we're going to have basically two examples of traditions specifically. An example of traditions, number one, is this. It's going to be our main text for today. We're going to spend probably about 30 minutes on it total. Um, And in today's main text, it's going to be Mark chapter 7. And we're going to read 1 through 13, if you want to go there, and I'll give you a little bit of heads up, which I normally don't do. Um, Tradition number one, okay, the main text, Mark chapter 7, we'll see something that is called by Yeshua himself, the traditions of the elders, okay, the traditions of the elders. And what's happening here, a little bit of backstory, and then we'll read the text itself. The Pharisees are confronting Yeshua about his disciples not walking according to the traditions of the elders, okay? And that's going to be the accusation that is hurled at Yeshua that is a very common theme in the Newer Testament. It's a common theme with his disciples, with Yeshua, of course, himself, with men like Shaul, Paul, um, the apostles were constantly facing this reality of, of they're not doing the traditions of their elders, okay? And they didn't really have a, a discrepancy uh, against that. They didn't have a, 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 an opposition to that. They're, in fact, by lifestyle saying, you're right, I'm not. Because you know what? I'm adhering to the law and the prophets. I, I am fulfilling the Torah of Elohim. And everything that you have added on top, I'm saying, is not for me, especially now in Messiah, as the light has come on, and he, Yeshua, came and exposed what? The traditions of men. The traditions, specifically in the text we're about to read, the traditions of the elders. Okay? And so let's go ahead and... um, Read this in just a moment. The tr- okay, well, the traditions of the elders. The Pharisees are confronting Yeshua. Okay, and again, let's be clear from the very beginning. I have to keep reminding myself this. Many of us have been given mixed, uh, muddied-up doctrine that says somehow the traditions of the elders was Torah. Um, I, I can never go back and pinpoint a time when I was in fifth grade or when I was in Sunday school with a felt board, and I remember when the teacher told me or when the preacher said a sermon. I can't do that with specificity, but I can tell you clearly, without a doubt, I was raised up to believe that everything Yeshua came against the the non-believing Jews, the the non-believing Pharisees, 
that they were clinging on to the Old Testament and he was ushering in the new. That is what I inherited. That is Christianity to a T, is that Yeshua, Jesus, this God-man came, and what all these Pharisees and Sadducees, and that's even the tone that's used, horrible law-keeping men, and Jesus came and set them free from the law, and they didn't want to be set free from the law. They wanted to be bound to the law, and so they denied Jesus as Savior Messiah and chose instead the Torah, law. And friend, that is a horrible, now I know, as a, as a, thankfully, as a grown adult, that is horrible doctrine. That is not even slightly true at all. And we, we, we rehash that all the time. We, we come and look straight in the eye of that doctrine here on the program with incredible regularity. And so that needs to be made clear for anyone who is, who is a little bit confused about what we're going to talk about here. Because there are many people that would rightly say, well, I thought the traditions of the elders was the law of Moses. I thought that was the Torah that the Pharisees were teaching. No, 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 no. The law, the traditions of the elders, friend, was their, was their oral law. It was not Torah, okay? Fathers, that, this, is what, this is what Yahweh called perfect. This is what David called perfect. I love your Torah. I love it. It's perfect. It revives my soul. Okay, it can't be perfect. The Torah of Elohim cannot be perfect and then called a a tradition of the elders that Yeshua, Jesus, tried to get rid of because it was so bad and burdensome. That would not make any sense at all. It was perfection, it is perfection, and it will be in Zion perfection still more. Okay, so let's look at the text, Mark chapter 7, and the Pharisees and some of the scribes. They gathered together around Yeshua when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, unwashed, okay, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. The traditions of the elders. You can search Torah. This is not a Torah instruction anywhere. Okay, this is a a tradition passed on by men to other men. And it was the law of the land, if you will, because of their oral tradition, not because Yahweh instated it. Okay, verse four. And when they came, um, when they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and the washing of pitchers and copper pots. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Yeshua, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but instead eat their bread with impure hands? And then what does Yeshua do? What does he do? Does he say, well, I'm here on the scene now, and everything's changed, and listen up. No. <laughs> he quotes Isaiah. He goes right back to what? The prophets. Verse 6, he says to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the commandment, of Yahweh, okay? They're neglecting the commandment of Elohim, and they hold to the tradition of 
men. Okay, this is very clear to allow the word to confirm what I just said about six and a half minutes ago. This is not the Torah because the Torah does not fit the verse eight criteria. The tradition of men is something different. It is totally different um, law and tradition. Okay, verse nine. He was also saying to them, you nicely set aside the commandment of Elohim in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, and he goes on, this is not uh, important to the text today, so for the sake of time, we're going to keep moving. And you do all these things, we'll summarize. Verse 13, thus... All these things they do, their oral tradition, the, the, tradri- the traditions of men that they are teaching and demanding Yeshua's disciples keep, are thus invalidating the word of Elohim by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. So let's talk about this for a mere moment, because why I called this a pharisaical Christmas was not to be sarcastic or arrest your attention, but to pre- pre- to present biblically the consideration that Christmas is non-believing pharisaical, okay? Because you can't even just say pharisaical. If I wanted a super long title, I'd say the non-believing Pharisees, but just for the sake of a title, I had to keep it concise. But we're talking about a a sect within a sect. We're talking about a group of people who were non-believers in Messiah himself, okay? It's very important that we understand this from the very beginning. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this for just a minute, and uh, we'll, we'll move on to part two. But we have to examine this text, rightly so, before we move any further. And what are we talking about? The power of traditions, okay? And, and again, running right parallel alongside Christmas, which, friend, is a, is a tradition. It is a, it is a well-worn, timely, predictable, reliable, very, very valuable and untouchable tradition. Okay? So, in this text alone, in Mark's chapter, Mark chapter 7, um, 1 through 13 specifically, what were these pharisaical leaders guilty of holding on to? Very simply put, just as we're talking about as the theme of today's message, they were holding on to traditions. Now, in the Greek, this is the definition of traditions, an understood precept or ordinance, a giving over, which is done by word of mouth or in writing. That right there is very neutral. A a tradition is neutral, okay, in itself, by definition. So, an understood precept or ordinance, a giving over, which is done by word of mouth, excuse me, or in writing. Very simple and, again, neutral. A tradition, as we're going to get to, we pose the question at the beginning, are all traditions bad or all traditions good? Where do they land and how do we know? What criteria shows us where they fall? Okay, this is very important. So what were they guilty of holding on to? Man-made traditions. And all of a sudden, you put man-made on the front of this understanding in the Greek word for traditions. All of a sudden, we have a separation. Man-made, originating in man. And friend, you cannot say that Christmas is God-ordained and God-given just because Jesus was born. Okay? (laughs) There are many things in the word of Elohim that we could pull out, extract, 
idolize, memorialize, and make a festival and a celebratory event that becomes mere idolatry. That's a whole other series I'm working on that's bigger than the ocean that I can't even talk about yet. It's very earth-shattering, let me just tell you. We have to be careful that these things that are right and good, okay, the birth of Messiah is incredible. Let's talk about it all day long. But nowhere in this word of Elohim am I ever counseled towards, commanded, instructed to make a holiday, a holy day out of his birth. Never. And so we're not doing God a favor. We're not bowing our knee to honor Elohim in some way that he receives and enjoys because we bring birthday gifts to baby Jesus. Nowhere in here are we instructed to do anything like that, friend. Please at least consider that it's possible it has, in fact, become idolatrous by being a man-made tradition at the outset of it. Okay, It is not biblical. No one has ever told me, yes, it is. Look right here at chapter and verse where there is any inkling of an idea of where we are commanded, told, instructed, or even maybe subliminally told to celebrate Yeshua's birth. It is not in there. It's just not. Don't You can look, but spend your time doing something else, friend. So what were they guilty of holding on to? Traditions. What were neglected? Okay, we're just what we're doing is we're picking apart Yeshua's words, talking to these non-believing Jews. Okay, the the non-believing Pharisees that were trying to get his disciples in trouble for not washing their hands before they ate a sandwich. Okay, <laughs> so what was neglected because of their own man-made traditions? And friend, this is of utmost importance. Commandments, commandments. Okay. Um, Let's go ahead and make sure we're reading the verse as we go here along. Verse 9 of chapter 7 in the book of Mark. Yeshua is speaking. You set aside the commandments of Elohim. Why? In order to keep your tradition. We're going to touch on this later, but we've got to hit it hard and heavy every time it comes up to make this point clear. You cannot have both. You cannot have both. This is clearly saying you have set aside, which is next, you have moved over here, Yahweh Elohim, my Father's commandments, in order to continue on in your man-made traditions. You have made an exchange where you have set aside his ways, his commands, we'll get to this, his mitzvot, and you instead have instituted your own traditions. Okay? So, the, as I just said, the Greek equivalent of, um, <coughs> excuse me, Commandments here is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word mitzvah or mitzvot, okay? And the writer of Ecclesiastes sums up the entire purpose of every man, okay? In light of this, <laughs> this is very applicable, what does he say at the end of everything he's written in Ecclesiastes? A final conclusion, when all has been heard, fear Yahweh and keep his mitzvot, his commandments. Keep his commands. Why? For this applies to all mankind. If you want to look it up, it's Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Okay, so this wise man, again, probably Solomon, we've talked about this in the past. All of, all of life has been experienced. Everything has been done. I've looked at this. I've looked at this. I've been rich. I've been poor. I've been all these things. Here's the conclusion for all of humanity. Fear Yahweh and keep his commands. 
But these individuals, the non-believing Jews here in the text in Mark chapter 7 and other places, of course, in the Gospels, are being accused of what? Neglecting Yahweh's commands because they in- instead chose their traditions of their fathers and then passed them on for generation after generation. Next question, what is the act um, that they were guilty of? What is the act that they were guilty of? This is just a a more formal way of saying what I just said off the cuff a moment ago. They were neglecting and setting aside. Okay? They what were they holding on to? Their traditions, and by holding on to their traditions, they were neglecting Yahweh's commands. And so neglecting his commands means this in the Greek, to leave, to let go of, to disregard, to give up, to keep no longer and depart from. Okay, Uh, I put this in there so we have a clear understanding of how cut and dry black and white this is. This exact same word in the Greek for um, setting aside or neglecting is when the men left their nets to follow Yeshua. When, when, when the disciples of, of the Rabbi Yeshua left their livelihoods behind, they left their nets. They neglected. They set aside their nets. And what do you do, friend, when you do that, biblically speaking? You take everything that you are, everything that gives you purpose, life, joy, all these things, and you throw it down and you pursue Messiah. Okay, this is very clear. The Word of God does all these things for us to make this stuff very clear. So they held on to traditions, they neglected the commandments, and they were guilty of neglecting and setting them aside, which is what? Leaving, disregarding, and departing from Yahweh's ways. Okay, two more questions as we wrap up part one. And what did their clinging to their own traditions do? All we're doing is taking this text line by line. What did their clinging to their own traditions do? It nullified and invalidated, made to no effect, the word of Elohim. Friend, do you understand how strong traditions are? A lot of people will just say, man, I love Christmas. I enjoy it, okay, Joel? How can can worshiping baby Jesus and singing uh, Christmas hymns and how can going to Christmas cantatas and Christmas plays and watching the Grinch and and how can these things be bad, Joel? You're you're never doing anything fun. Well, number one, have you gone back and li- looked at or listened to our Sukkot videos, Tabernacles? Have you talked to us about um, Shavuot, Pentecost? Have you been here on my property when we did Passover back in the spring? And I said, this is one of the greatest nights of my entire life. Friend, joy and purpose are found in Yahweh, my Father's ways, festivals, celebrations, and events. The ones he spoke out into all of eternity for whosoever will come and be identified by his people. Okay? Feast, Sabbath, walking in his ways, Torah. Okay? So, by clinging to their own traditions, if we're only looking at Yeshua's words alone here in Mark chapter 7, it nullified and invalidated, made to no effect, the word of Elohim. Friend, that is a huge, huge undertaking. Who would think, really, that traditions that just seem nice and kind of, you know, it's enjoyable. Gosh, what's the big deal, right? 
What if it nullifies and makes to no effect the word of Elohim, friend? Is it still just, oh, it's just good fun? I, I don't see how anybody could do it if your eyes are open to it, which is our endeavor here today. Last question. How did it, the, the traditions of men, continue? Those in charge handed it down. Okay? That's, that is how every single thing works. The, the ones who taught handed it down, to use a word again, word for word here from Yeshua, generation after generation taught and taught and taught and taught. Yes, they taught Torah. Yes, Yeshua said, when that guy who I'm calling out is sitting in the, in the seat of Moses, do what he says. <laughs> He's teaching my father's Torah. Do what he says. But when he stands up and starts walking out here talking about washing your hands before you eat that burger, get out the door. Don't do what he does. That's what Yeshua said word for word. We have to, we have to really scrutinize the word of Elohim to understand what is being said. So, how did all these things, these traditions continue? It's just simply handed down like everything's been handed down to us, just like Christmas. Friend, Christmas was delivered to you in a little Norman Rockwell package of gifts and trees and all-you-can-eat food and shopping and beautiful music and, and enjoyable um, plays and times of watching movies and drinking eggnog. How many things can we go over and over and over and over to make this imagery of the perfect American Christmas, which we talked about in last year's series and how that was even developed? How elite men, billionaires created literally through American folklore Christmas stories a long time ago, they created a picturesque world that became real life. It was literally fabricated and delivered to you by people, what? To continue to be handed down generation after generation. Now, in conclusion for part one, this should rightly cause a spiritually mature man to ask a question that I really want you to consider. Can we today, in the exact same way, nullify the word of Elohim via our traditions that have been handed down to us? If not, why? How are we exempt? How are we any different? Well, okay, because like literally, I'm here to blow all of your excuses out of the water. That's why I exist. That's what the word of Elohim does to me. That's what it should be doing to all of us. Not just endorsing what we already want to do and know and believe. It should be continually shining a light on error in me. So with that in mind, these men are fully convinced they are clinging to everything Yahweh wants, but yet are completely missing the Messiah himself right in front of their face. And they missed him, those, because they were too quickly, they were too quick to hold on to their own man-made traditions and could not let go of them and thereby abandoned, as we just looked into, turned away from the literal commands of Elohim that they were claiming to cling to. See, this is somewhat complex, and yet we do the same thing in Christianity in Christianity today over and over and over again. So the question again, can we today nullify the word of Elohim via our traditions that have been handed down to us? 
Has Christianity equally abandoned Yahweh's commands and instead embraced non-biblical traditions? Absolutely yes. No way around it. No way to sugarcoat it. No way to excuse it. The answer to this question bluntly is absolutely unequivocally yes. We, Christianity, have left, abandons, uh, abandoned Yahweh's commands and instead embraced non-biblical traditions. We have traded in feasts and Sabbath, and we now do Easter, Christmas, trunk or treat. We do it all according to man-made traditions, friend, that are not biblical at all, at all. We have to just own up to that. If you're willing to own up to it, come back for part two. We are talking about what? A pharisaical Christmas. A unique look at the power of traditions. You've been watching the Path to Zion podcast. We're rediscovering the ancient way. Tune back in for part two. Ride for this.